Welcome to Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras. I'm Ben Collins. This week we discuss the Rishi Bharadvaja, one of the original seven Rishis, who is an interesting character in his own right and plays a very pivotal role in the big battle of the Mahabharata. As always, this podcast is presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web where you can find new episode of Jyotish Conversations in which we discuss the techniques for predicting marriage. It's a non-technical show, very easy for anyone to understand, so be sure to check that out. It is a curious fact that in the stories of the Vedic tradition, many of its most important characters have very unusual births. Sita, the wife of Rama, was found in a field by her father, King Janaka, and in this case, Bharadwaja was found as an abandoned baby. Perhaps it is symbolic that they are different right from the very beginning of their lives, and in any case, Bharadwaja was found by Marudwaja, who recognized something special in the gaze of the infant boy and took him home to raise as if he was his own. As the boy grew, he was noted for his intense thirst for knowledge of the Vedas. And, of course, the essence of Vedic knowledge is not so much in the words of the hymns, but in the consciousness that underlies them. And so he spent much of his time in meditation trying to plumb the depths of Brahman, or universal awareness. Radhvaja learned as much as he could, but he felt he was still very much lacking. So he prayed to Indra, the king of the gods, And he meditated on Indra for a very, very long time, so long, in fact, that he never bothered to stop to eat or drink, and eventually he couldn't even sit properly. Indra finally appeared and asked him what it was that he wanted. Of course, Bharadva just said all he wanted was to enjoy enough lifespan in order to continue to meditate and learn about the Vedas. Indra was not terribly encouraging and pointed out that, indeed, this was his third lifetime that he'd been pursuing this quest for knowledge with such vigor. And Indra, because what's the use of being divine if you can't use your power for a little drama, immediately manifested three huge Himalayan mountains in front of Bharadwaja. Obviously, this would symbolize the three main Vedas, Rig, Yajur, and Samaveda. And then Indra reached down and picked up a handful of dirt, one from each mountain, and said to Bharadwaja, Compared to the vastness of the Vedas, this is what you have learned. But, Indra pointed out, this is more than even the Devas know. And kindly he pointed out that the depths of Vedic knowledge are important, but it's also important to share this knowledge and to teach people. So then Indra taught Bharadwaja how to perform a specific yagya that would give him what he wanted, but the yagya had to be attended by Shiva and Parvati. So Bharadwaja set off for Mount Kailash so that he could invite them, but as he arrived there, the divine couple were involved in a long cosmic dance, or natyam. Shiva never noticed him, but Parvati looked in his direction and smiled and went back to their dancing. Well, Bharadwaja sat in the cold for eight days until he finally lost consciousness, and at that point Shiva and Parvati revived him, restored him to health, and blessed his plans for the yagya. 
But then Bharadwaja went to find Brahma, the creator, and asked him who was the most powerful god. Well, Brahma chuckled and said, Oh, well, I think that would be Vishnu, and sent him off to find Vishnu. Well, Vishnu graciously received Bharadwaja, who asked, Who is the greatest, most powerful god? Brahma says it's you. Well, Vishnu, immediately catching on with the joke, sent him to find Bhagavan Valmiki. Now, Valmiki is a great man, the author of the Ramayana, and was referred to as Adi Kavi, or first poet. Kavi is poet in Sanskrit, of the Vedic tradition, but he is certainly not the most powerful god. And there is, I think, a wonderful lesson in this. By sending Bharadvaja to Valmiki, Brahma and Vishnu were showing that one who teaches, who spreads knowledge and understanding, has great power, and is as vital to the universe as the great gods like Vishnu and Brahma. Why? Because a teacher can create the desire for knowledge and the thirst for enlightenment. If Shiva appeared before us and said, Meditate, certainly we would spend every moment we could meditating to fulfill his command. But then, is that really a reflection of our free will, our own choice, or is it because of, well, divine intimidation? A great teacher inspires us to pursue knowledge as our own choice, and that's a particularly important element in the development of true enlightenment. And it is a particularly profound statement because Valmiki, even though he was the son of a, sta- of a sage, had ended up with a very large family and ultimately resorted to robbery to support them before becoming a seer. Eventually the sage Narada straightened him out and became a great devotee of Rama and later wrote the Ramayana, the story of Rama and Sita. So perhaps the lesson for Bharadwaja and for all of us is that perfection is a fine goal, but certainly those who accomplish great things start out vastly imperfect. And to the gods, that imperfection is really quite irrelevant. We can still be great and do good and meaningful things in the world. So from that day onwards, Bharadwaja worked to share his knowledge of the Vedic tradition among people for the betterment of society. Bharadwaja's knowledge was very broad, but particularly deep in the area of war and the defense of a kingdom, and in Ayurveda for health. Interestingly, Bharadwaja had a son by the name of Garga, who later became the family priest of the family of Nanda, the foster father of Krishna. Garga was the one who gave Krishna the name Krishna after having received it mentally during a meditation. We've already seen that Bharadwaja was connected to Valmiki, the author of the Ramayana, story of Rama, but he also has a direct connection with the Mahabharata, the long story of Krishna and the Pandava and Kaurava brothers. If you know the story of the Mahabharata, you know that there was a very important character by the name of Drona, or Dronacharya, who was the martial arts acharya for both families. Well, Drona was the son of Bharadwaja, but in a very unusual way. One day, Bharadwaja was walking with his friends by a river when they saw an astonishingly beautiful Apsara, or celestial nymph, by the name of Kritachi. This theme runs through all of the Vedic tradition. A lovely Apsara is sent to distract a sage, and usually in order to make something important happen. Notably, Vishwamitra Rishi, the author of the Gayatri Mantra, 
was doing his austerities and was generating such intense energy that Indra became worried that he'd be overthrown as king of the gods by Vishwamitra. So great was Vishwamitra's power. To save himself, Indra sent the Apsara Minaka to work her charms with him. As she timidly approached Vishwamitra, the wind god Vayu sent a puff of wind to sweep away her garments, and instantly it was too late. Thus seeing her, Vishwamitra abandoned himself to her, and they had a daughter named Sakuntala. In this case, Gritachi was about to bathe, and when she removed her clothes, her sensual beauty was so powerful that immediately Bharadwaja lost control and had to grab a clay pot to contain his essence. As he set the pot down, the sun emerged, and that sun became Drona. Drun means a vessel or clay pot, and so he was Drona, the vessel-born son of Bharadwaja. Drona himself has a long, great story, which is told in an earlier podcast episode series called Amba and Bhishma. But in the end, Drona caused real problems in the Mahabharata. Drona was the original martial arts teacher for both the Pandavas and the Kauravas. But Arjuna, the king of the, or the, the hero of the Bhagavad Gita, was always his favorite. Drona unfortunately ended up on the side of the bad guys, but fought with great power and dedication in meeting his duty. But he was accru- accused by Duryodhana of being partial to Arjuna and not fighting against them as hard as he could. Drona was in possession of many what are called astras, or mantra-based weapons, but so far he had not used everything that he had. So eventually Drona gets caught up and ends up fighting with his student Arjuna, and the text of the Mahabharata describes it as being a wonderful display of all the astras, the spiritual weapons they both possessed. There was one supreme weapon, the Brahmastra, the weapon of Brahma. As it says, the earth quaked in fear and the sky became dark as they hurled the same ultimate weapon at each other at the same time. Arjuna's Brahmastra collides with Drona's and they cancel each other out. And apparently Arjuna and Drona lose interest in fighting with each other directly and the narrative goes on to other events. But that's not really the end of the story. Drona goes off and uses Brahmastra again and again on the soldiers of the Pandavas, and he kills 20,000 of them at a time. Over and over, Drona strikes, and Krishna and the Pandavas begin to get worried. They also feel that this is a little unethical on the part of Drona to use these weapons on men who have no defense against them. So Krishna says to Yudhisthira, Arjuna's older brother, that Drona is using unfair methods in his fighting, so we will use unfair methods against him. But Drona is so strong that the only idea that Krishna has is that if Drona hears that his son, Aswatthama, has died, he will give up. So Bhima goes off and kills an elephant, who happened to have the same name, Aswatthama. Then Bhima found Drona and told him that Aswatthama was dead. Well, Drona was staggered by the news, but decided that he couldn't believe Bhima, and Drona renews his fighting with crazy abandoning, uh, slaughtering many, many 
soldiers. He slaughtered the entire army of the Panchalas and the Somakas with his Brahmastra. Finally, all the rishis in the, in the heavens got a little worried, and they sent Drona's father, Bharadwaja, down to appear to him, although unseen by human eyes. Bharadwaja said, My son, you are not fighting fairly. You've mastered the Vedas as befits a Brahmin, but here you are fighting with the cruelty of a Kshatriya. It is time to die, give up this life, and join me in heaven. Drona lowers his weapons, and he looks at Yudhistra, the elder brother of Arjuna, and his former student, and he says, My son, please tell me the truth. Is my child really dead? Well, Yudhistra was reputed to be so truthful that he walked inches off the ground, so great was his purity. But he'd been told by Krishna to lie, and he'd been told that the lie would be justified and was indeed necessary. So Yudhista replied to Drona, yes, Aswatama is dead, and he added softly under his breath, Aswatama the elephant. Having said this lie, Yudhistara descended to earth. His great purity was irretrievably lost. And, as you might imagine, Drona lost his will to fight for a while. But then for a while he, he again renewed his efforts and fought fiercely until Bhima spoke to him reminding him that he, Drona, was a Brahmin by birth, and that the duty of a Brahmin is to uphold Dharma and serve as a good example to others. Drona quietly accepted the truth of these words, set down his weapons, and in spite of Arjuna's desire to capture him alive, was killed, freeing him to return to heaven to be with the Rishis and his father, Bharadwaja. And so for chanting this week, we're going to start with Pahimam Sri Ramachandra, about Rama, since we've mentioned the connection of this story with the Ramayana. And then also, since Rishi Bharadwaja went to Kailas for the blessings of Shiva and Parvati, we have Om Sri Mata Maheshwari, uh, two very pretty selections, and that'll be it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.
ప్రదా 